Good morning, everybody. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you so much for this morning, for your river of life that flows in this place. Thank you for each one who is here, for those who have worshiped and lifted up your name. We thank you for your gift of your presence here. And I'm humbled, Lord, to stand in this place. I pray that you would anoint me and fill me with your spirit now. Yield myself to you, and God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be here to make these words, your word, real to us. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Reading from Genesis chapter 2, starting with verse 4. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now, no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. In the beginning, before God could make plants to grow in the garden or form man from the ground, from the dry dust of the ground, he needed a crucial life-giving ingredient, water. So he caused streams of water to come up from the earth because water brings life. The Lord brought forth natural water to bring forth natural life and the Lord brings forth spiritual water to bring forth spiritual life. We need spiritual water. We need natural water to have natural life. We need spiritual water to have spiritual life. There is only one source for spiritual water. Jesus himself is the spring of living water. Can I get an amen? Today I'd like to call us back to the basics and issue some very fundamental challenges as we talk about living water. At age 20, a young man, Jeremiah, was called by God as a prophet to warn the people of Israel of the consequences of breaking their covenant with God through idolatry. People were worshiping in the temple, but practicing idolatry outside of the temple. So here's a way to understand what the Bible means when we read this word, idolatry. It was as though they were still married to God, but they were committing spiritual adultery. We often miss this when we think of idolatry. If you commit adultery, you haven't left the marriage you are just voluntarily sinning with the person who is not your spouse. This is what Israel was doing with God. They didn't leave him. They were just voluntarily breaking their commitment to be faithful to him. And they turned to other things for their satisfaction. Jeremiah used this language to communicate how God's people had drifted away from total dependence on him. Jeremiah 2, and verse 13. He said, My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, 
and they have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Now, I, to, I want you to take a look at this picture. This really helps this verse come to life. You can see the clear difference here between a cistern and a well or a wellspring. A cistern is underground often, and it gathers water, but its source is surface water. It's essentially a rain barrel that gathers runoff. It's only full after a rain, if it rains. It sits stagnant, gets dirty, and it depends on the cistern not having any cracks or seeping. The well, on the other hand, is fed from a much deeper place and has an ongoing source that produces fresh water actually filtered through an underground aquifer. So Jeremiah says, God's people have forsaken him as the spring of living water. They didn't forsake him altogether. They didn't depart from their faith or stop believing in God. They didn't forsake God in the sense that they left him. They were committing spiritual adultery. And instead of coming to God for living water, they were doing other things to quench the thirst in their souls. There was a time when they were once fully dependent upon God for their survival. They would remember it had been about six centuries since God used Moses as a deliverer to lead the people of Israel out of bondage from Egypt. As the Lord led them through the wilderness toward the promised land, God told Moses to strike a rock with his rod, and God literally caused a spring of water, again, to come up from a rock for their sustenance, their satisfaction, and for their very survival to keep them alive in the wilderness. Like the children of Israel who were set free from slavery in Egypt, those of us who have been born again have been set free from slavery to sin through the blood of Jesus. Can I get an amen? It's easy when we're first saved to understand our need for the Lord. It's easy when we're in a wilderness season to depend on him because we're desperate and we recognize our need for him. But it's when we settle in to the promised land and experience the richness of the blessings of God poured into our life that we tend to drift away from him. Is that not true? Human history has taught us that it is often during our most blessed seasons that we tend to drift furthest from God. We learn to depend on our blessings and leave God behind. We forsake him as the spring of living water each day. We dig cisterns, we gather the runoff from the blessings and stuff that God himself has provided. We gather it, store it, and we draw from it to quench the thirst in our souls. Now let me read from Psalm chapter 42. The psalmist wrote this. As the deer pants for streams of water, my soul pants for you, God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. And he says this. When can I go and meet with God? What a question. Because we were made in his image and likeness, and because our one great purpose in life is to know him and be known by him, 
We all thirst for God. Let me say that again and maybe get a couple more amens to help me out. We all thirst for God. Thank you. I'm trying to keep you awake here. So um, it's not a matter of if your soul is thirsty. It's a matter of where you are turning to quench your thirst. All right, so I am absolutely a sweet tea guy. Okay, anybody else a uh, sweet tea guy? Give me an amen if you agree with Uncle Cy and I that it's the best drink. He's literally holding up a cup. It's the best drink for quenching thirst. All right, so I could ask you, you know, what do you drink every day to quench your thirst? Coffee in the morning? Two coffees? Five? Soda at lunch? Got your cup of water? My wife has uses the same cup all day, every day. But what if I ask you, what do you do daily to quench your spiritual thirst? If you can't really name something or a spiritual discipline that you do regularly to spend time with Jesus, dwell with the Holy Spirit, and as the psalmist wrote, to meet with God, to quench your spiritual thirst, then you probably have dug a cistern. In theory, when we think of someone forsaking God, we think in terms of walking away from their faith, throwing away their Bible, stopping church, living for the world. And of course, I would never do that. Would you? Of course not. But in reality, what the Bible is teaching here is that forsaking God actually happens when we simply drift over into a daily pattern of just forgetting Him. Forgetting that He is Yahweh, the ever-present God. Don't ever let the ever-present God go unacknowledged in your life. Solomon wrote, acknowledge God in all your ways. And when we allow ourselves to simply forget God, it can lead to us forsaking him. So somebody turn to your neighbor. I'm still trying to keep you awake here. Turn to your neighbor and say, don't forget God. When you're making your dating decisions, say it with me. Don't forget God. Financial decisions, fill in your calendar, deciding what you want to do with your free time. Don't forget God. During your kid's morning routine and your kid's bedtime routine, don't forget God. During your morning and bedtime routines, don't forget God. If you're watching too much news and you get depressed, Come on, don't forget God. In all your ways, acknowledge God. And when we forget God, we forsake him as our spring of living water, and we end up with the drought in our soul, whether or not we realize it. We often try to quench this thirst on our own terms, and this is when we dig cisterns. Here's some example of cisterns. Quick list. Relationships, romance, even religion can be a cistern. A new hobby. Some people look for a new church to get excited. A new car sometimes, a new job, getting a job that will make me feel more valued and more passionate. Moving to a place where I'll be more happy. Drug and alcohol use, pornography, food and drink, 
including sweet tea. TV, cell phones, social media. Listen, some of these things are good. Some of these things are always sinful. The idea here is that we are looking for something to satisfy. Is anybody, is anybody feeling their thirst? Can you with me? Some of you. So we are looking for something to satisfy. But when we live satisfied in God, we don't need these things. I'll say it again. When we live fully satisfied in God, all of these things lose their lore on our souls. When we forsake Jesus' living water, we get thirsty, and we turn to these things for soul satisfaction. And that's when we can stumble into sin and idolatry. This morning, let's turn to Jesus and talk about living water. Reading from John chapter 4. And the story of the Samaritan woman that Jesus met at the well. He's talking with her about the well water. It's a good place, right? John 4, verse 13. Jesus said this. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. John chapter 7, we read this. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Holy Spirit, whom those who believed in him would receive later. So this is what Jesus taught. If we drink the water he gives, we'll never thirst again because the water he gives will actually become a spring of water flowing up and out of us. The Bible is clear. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. But let's make this practical. Question one, what does it mean to come to Jesus and drink? Well, he's given us living water. He is the spring of living water. We're supposed to come to Jesus and drink. But what does that mean exactly, sir? Well, we come to Jesus. This is nothing new here, okay? Spiritual disciplines time. We come to Jesus in prayer. Praise and worship, Bible study, fellowship with other believers. These are the spiritual disciplines where we draw close to God. Pray, praise, get in God's word and gather with other believers. We should each take regular inventory of our life to track how often these things happen. The word drink means to ingest or consume. Another question is what are you consuming, taking into your soul? There are two main entrances into our soul. What you watch in your eye gates and what you listen to. Into your ear gates. We should always take regular inventory of what we are watching and what we are listening to. Come on, somebody. I want to stop here and emphasize one possible spiritual growth point, okay, for someone in this room. I want to challenge you to make the switch from secular music to Christian music. I want to, I want to make that challenge this morning. 
I'm not going to talk you into it. I'm not going to, it's not a legalistic thing. Listen, if you're saved and listening to secular music, it won't keep you out of heaven. But it might keep heaven out of you. Let me read this friend family testimony. I spoke with them this week. They gave me permission to share. The family was headed early one morning on a drive to grandma's house to dog sit and mother Melody had Christian music on the radio. She looked in the rear view and saw that Micah had a sad look on her face, almost even to the point of like a sickness. And Melody asked if she was okay. Micah responded that she was just feeling sad. So later when they got to grandma's house, Micah was still obviously visibly disturbed, even with tears in her eyes. Still, so Melody asked again, Micah, What's wrong? Micah asked if she could talk alone. So she goes in and Micah says this, I, I don't know how to say it, but when I heard that song, she said, I let God into my life. Micah said that she heard in the song what we did to Jesus and she was very sad and heartbroken, very troubled about what we did to Jesus. She remembered all the bad things that she had done to hurt Jesus. She kept saying, it just hit me, and I let God into my life. She said she had heard the story before in church, but this time it was different. At age nine, she just said, I, I can't explain why it was different, but it just feels different. Later, Melody said that she was not sad anymore, but still had a weight of God's presence, humility, and brokenness on her. And later when dad came home, Brian, eight hours later, she ran to the door, jumped up and hugged daddy. And guess what she said? Daddy, I let God into my heart today. Two days later, the Holy Spirit is still stirring. Yeah, praise God. All of heaven rejoices. Two days later, Micah asked to speak with her mother in private again. She confessed things that she had never mentioned before, sins committed against her, and sins that she committed. These things have absolutely initiated a healing process for her nine-year-old soul. Because her mother led her to Jesus, the fount of living water, by listening to Christian music while driving in the car, Micah didn't even realize it, but she was drinking living water. And it became a wellspring that came up out of her mouth. This is how living water springs up out of us. It comes out of our mouth. Come on, somebody. Matthew 12 and 34. From the abundance of the heart, from the overflow of the inner man, the mouth speaks. So where does this spring of living water flow out of us? It flows out of our mouth. So in closing today, I'd like to share two simple practices that will allow the living water to make its way from our heart into our mouth to go out and impact the world around us. First of all, this is very simple. Talk to God, but there's a catch. You must actually talk. Now, stick with me. Barna Research shows 94% of people pray alone. 82% pray silently. 
and only 2% of Christians have ever prayed audibly in church. Christian researcher Shanti Felden published a book, The Good News About Marriage. She notes 4% of Christian couples pray together. So hear me, if you don't talk to God out loud, then rivers of living water can't come out of your mouth. I'm going to say it again. It needs to settle in. It's kind of the whole point of the sermon today. You need to release this by talking out loud. Pray out loud. And now you're saying just slow your roll, Brandon. Take it easy, smarty pants, because God can hear my heart. And that is absolutely true. And you can talk to God silently because he knows your heart even better than you do. But God doesn't need living water. He's the one who gave it to you. People need living water, and people can't hear your heart. See, we have to make this shift where what God has done for me is not always just about me. There's people around us every day, in our home, in our job, in this church, that need the living water of God that is welling up inside of you. And it will not be released unless you let it come out of your mouth. Learn to say it. So talk to God and pray. But pray out loud. And pray out loud together. Couples, pray together. Fathers, Lead your families in prayer. Pray with your siblings, your friend, your life. Pray together out loud. Change the sentence, I'll pray for you, to can I pray for you? And then pray right there. A 15-second prayer can change a person's course of life in an, in an instant. When you come to God, you don't have to pray for five minutes for someone. Just a moment, a whisper of God's name over their situation can change their destiny. Here's two practical suggestions for those who don't pray together. Pray out loud. This is very common. One option, make a list of things that you're thankful for. Just write them down. And when you stop to say grace before you eat, just add that and thank God for those things. And you find now your grace becomes a little longer, your prayer's a little longer. Now you're just moving into a prayer of thankfulness to God. You could also make a list of people who you know are struggling and are sick. Just write it down. And then call out those names before God and ask God to help them. It's very easy to learn to pray out loud. So talk to God. Number two, talk about God. In John 16, 14, Jesus taught that when the Holy Spirit comes, he would glorify Jesus. One way to engage with the Holy Spirit and release living water is to glorify Jesus. Make much of him. Thank him for his goodness and grace. Talk of his power, his miracles, his forgiveness. Tell your kids and coworkers, glorify Jesus. Another way to release living water is to encourage other believers. John 14, 16, Jesus called the Holy Spirit our advocate. This title translates most commonly for us 
our encourager. One reason that God sent the Holy Spirit was to encourage the church. And listen, the Holy Spirit is inside of you, and people receive encouragement verbally, so we should make it a habit to use the words of our mouth to encourage our fellow believers in the Lord, and we will see and know exactly what it means that there is a wellspring of water living and rising up out of us. In Acts 1, before Jesus ascended, he promised that the Holy Spirit would come and give his disciples power to live as witnesses. Finally, we share living water when we share the gospel with others. 1 Corinthians 1.18, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. What is the power of God? The message. How do you deliver a message? You speak it. You literally release the power of God when you release the message of the gospel. Listen, currently in this community, I believe nationwide statistics are true in this community, 48% of unchurched people and 52% of people, even in churches, believe a works-based, earn-your-own-way-into-heaven-by-being-good false gospel. People need the true gospel. As the Lord leads you, talk to people about God. And remember this, 82% of adults start attending church because a friend invited them. I want to close by reading Malachi chapter 3, 16. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with each other. And the Lord listened to what they said. In his presence, a scroll of remembrance was written to record the names of those who feared him and always thought about the honor of his name. Would you bow your heads with me? Church, we should always judge ourselves first. This morning, let's take a moment to reflect on our lives, take inventory of the words of our mouths. The Bible teaches that life and death are in the power of the tongue. The Bible teaches that we will give an account for every idle word we speak. We should ask ourselves this morning, are my words idle or are they eternal? Do I talk about the Lord? Do I love his word? Do I read it? Do I fear him? Do I honor him with my words? Am I allowing this living water that's inside of me to come out of my mouth? When is the last time my words glorified Jesus, encouraged my brother? When is the last time I shared the gospel or invited someone to church? Jesus, we come to you now in prayer to drink freely of the living water you promised. Cause it to well up inside of us and overflow in a way that we can't contain. Lead us by your spirit into opportunities to share your love with the words of our mouth. Amen. Let's stay in prayer for just a moment. If you're with us today and say, I, I hear about living water, but I'm not sure that I have it. If you don't have that personal relationship with God through His Son, Jesus, we invite you into that relationship today. And not just we, He invites you. Scripture says that He stands at the door of our heart and He knocks. And if anyone would open to Him, that He would come in and 
dine with you. Basically saying, I, I want to do life with you. Here on a holiday weekend, we always have a lot of folks that we don't know. You might be here vacationing this summer. And maybe church isn't a regular part of your life. But maybe you decided to come with your family today. I don't know what your story is. But I, I wouldn't want you to leave here without knowing of God's love. And if you feel him knocking at the door of your heart, just a simple yes to him is a prayer that can literally change your eternity and change this life. Well, let's just pray one more time. If you're here today and you need to open your heart to Jesus, just say, yes, Lord Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of my sin. Cleanse me of my past. I want to know you. I want to be used by you, God. I want my life to matter. I want it to count. You don't have to use my words. You can use yours, but just talk to him today. If he's talking to you, just respond. Tell him you want to do life with him. You you want to be saved. You want that living water to flow through you. Friend, no matter where you've been or what you've done, our God is too good. He will not turn you away. And if he's he's talking to you, that's proof that the God of the universe is pursuing a personal relationship with you. Father, thank you for that grace that's extended to each of us. And Lord, help us to use these lips, use these vocal cords, use our words, God, to glorify you and make a difference in this world. Thank you for your word today. Bless it. Use it by the power of your Holy Spirit, God, on the inside of us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen.